0: Welcome to AM Best Audio. Good afternoon, we've got uh, Victoria Carter with us this afternoon. Uh, Victoria is the Chair of uh, Global Capital Solutions International with Guy Carpenter and she also wears another hat, being the Deputy Chair of Lloyds. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon, Victoria. This is just to have a bit of a general chat and get your viewpoint of where you see, uh, if you like, the status of the insurance, reinsurance industry and we will try and avoid the conflicts as we talked briefly about between Lloyds and your current role at Guy Carpenter. Absolutely. But I'd really love to actually know what you really think about the two. <laughs> but look, just to get, get started, could you give us your sense of where you believe the, uh, if you like, the current cycle of reinsurance is at the moment?
1: Yeah, so I think we're in a really interesting place right now. I think the market's going through a huge transition. Um, we all know that the world has become much more volatile. I think the n- nature of risk is dramatically changing. Yes. We're seeing you know, a lot of challenges facing CEOs today. You've got inflation risks. You've got you know, financial instability. Um, you've got geopolitical landscape, which is very unstable. Mm. We're seeing at the moment, we've witnessed already Russia-Ukraine situation. We've had a pandemic we've got climate change driving you know more severe catastrophic weather losses like yes. convective storm, things like that we've seen we've seen you know 44 billion of cat losses already in h1 2023 and um, that's a lot of challenges on top of new emerging risks such as cyber yes so for any CEOs sitting there, you know, facing the market, there's a lot to consider. And I think that we've seen a dramatic change in pricing in the insurance market, which was heavily driven by reinsurance pricing. So, the first time, suddenly, in my career, I've seen the reinsurance market really driving the insurance market. Yes. And I think from the insurance point of view, I think they've had a huge change, not just in pricing, but level of deductibles and terms and conditions. You throw that all in at once, it's an awful lot for an insurance company to take on board. So I think what they've had to do is spend 2023 just looking to adjust their own portfolios. How do we respond to these huge changes that we're seeing, you know, in over almost overnight? Mm. And how do we optimise our portfolios and and take all that on board and make sure we still continue to produce profit for our shareholders. So what I think we're seeing is a lot more capital management and effectively, that's what reinsurance is. It's capital. Mm. Um, and I think companies have got to look now how they optimise that capital and continue to optimise the portfolio, optimise optimise their reinsurance buying and ultimately deliver profit to their shareholders. A lot to contend with.
0: That was a very high quality executive summary of where we are <laughs> at the moment and if you like, the challenges and the hurdles Lord. that we face, and, and And what really interested me there, it's not just uh, looking at the profitability in the capital management insurers, but also for the reinsurers.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I suppose that leads into how you perceive, if you like, the sustainability of capital, uh, the nature, if you like, alternative capital management strategies and is this are you seeing evidence that there's new capital market entrance because of i suppose there's a perceived good rate of return um because of the recent premium increases because of uh, as you mentioned catastrophes and the emergency emerging classes of cyber and uh, and terrorism now taking on a another uh, uh, leap so where do you actually see this being in 12 months times of, of how if you like, industry in a uh, aggregate sense, but also an individual sense, because each of the markets is also very unique. And some of them don't actually need the pricing increases, but we understand the concept of uh, insurance pooling. But I'd like to get your viewpoint of where you think it's heading.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if you go back a couple of years and you look at the huge uh, sort of entrance of alternative capital, they all poured into, where they felt the best and most detailed modeling was. And that was in US catastrophe business. So we saw yes. a huge number of them jump into supporting US CAT. Yep.
0: Yes. What
1: they didn't expect was to pick up wildfires and then to pick up COVID. And that was a huge shock. So their capital was trapped, which they couldn't redeploy. And that put them in a very, very difficult position. And I think that spooked a lot of those uh, alternative capital uh, that came into the CAT area. I think since then you've seen a lot of capital come into the 144A cap bond market. Yes. Certainly, what we've seen recently is a huge increase in the number of cap bonds being bought as people look for alternative reinsurance methods to protect yep. the portfolios. And actually, that market has performed extremely well, and it's it's performed in line with expectations of the capital providers. So I think you'll see continue to see growth in the cap bond market more capital coming into that area. I think then if you look at PE and you look at PE compared to things like um, pension fund money, a lot of the pension funds that are coming, they have a very, very different appetite. As we all know, PE has a much shorter vision. They've got a sort of mm-hmm. five to seven year vision and then they want liquidity. Um, whereas the pension fund seems to look for much more stability, they don't want that volatility, mm. and they'll have a lot a longer horizon, and they don't necessarily have the exit sort of um, challenges that PE have when their funds expire or look to liquidate. So I think you know there are different areas of the market and different types of capital coming in. I think if you go back twelve months, I think you know we looked and were concerned about was there going to be enough capital in the market to support, you know, the new requirements of people wanting to buy reinsurance. And I think actually what we've seen is certainly this year and particularly in the mid-year renewals, there's actually probably been a little bit of excess capital, I think. Capital has seen the market transform in terms of pricing in most of the lines. There, are there always exceptions. appears
0: to be some softening in some of like that And I think yes. we
1: started to see, you know, certain layers in certain territories actually get overplaced and the slight signing down. So, and most of the new capital that's come in there, which is about four billion of all new capital coming in and up into July 2023, we see that from sort of the existing uh, players. Yes. So has there been an influx of new players into the market? No. Do we expect to see that? Possibly as, you know, I think they need to have a really good year of profit under their belt to start to see new you know, opportunities for them to come in. And I think the other thing that's interesting is the whole interest rate environment. You know, as interest rates you know, have been on a, fortunately, on a trajectory upwards recently, Maybe other industries are becoming more attractive to them now, mm. having seen what's happened to some of the, you know, the other investors into our industries. So for new players coming in, I think we might need to see you know, 2023 play out and 2024 start to continue to remain in a sort of more harder market. Yes. And then I think you might start to see. But are there any new players in, in 2023, big new players? No.
0: That's a it's it's interesting how um, uh, you're talking about the PE um, and the impact, if you like, on the pension funds where yeah their long-term duration and their if you like their investment appetite is not high, and the subsequent uh, introduction of um, inflation via the, uh, the pandemic, Absolutely. what impact that is actually going to have on the markets and I, and I suppose that leads into another uh, environment in terms of the claims experience oh. because of the inflation and because of how the litigation processes have it's also changed in a lot of countries over that. It would be, uh, <laughs> be really interesting your viewpoint in terms of you mentioned that we got to see it play out and, uh, and some profitability. Do you actually see profitability in a lot of the classes business being evident for the next 12 months or 18 months?
1: Yeah, I think I think absolutely. I mean, there are huge opportunities to make profit. And there are a lot of companies that have very successfully managed, you know, the difficult cycles. And I think yes. that comes down to quality of people and individuals and risk choices. So I think a lot more sort of, again, risk looking at risk appetites and adapting those to, to market conditions. But you go back to a really interesting point around inflation and the impact that's having... If you look at the U.S. Uh, market in particular, and you look mm. at what's happened with inflation there, social inflation in particular, the impact that's having on claims yes. coming through from prior years, mm. and we're seeing some real changes in, you know, payout patterns, mm. the tails, um, have mm. companies adequately reserved against, you know, the challenges of social inflation, yes. and we're seeing some significant numbers come out of that. Um, I think, again, in Europe, you're starting to see, again, you know, a lot of concern about whether companies are reserving adequately for some of the issues around things like opioids and um, some of the other chemical substances that people are using these days. What's the impact going to be that down the line? Um, Asia-Pac, less of a casualty market. You don't tend to see that. And certainly inflation has been you know, nothing like we've seen in the rest of the world in, in Europe or, or certainly in the US. So I think it's very interesting to say that as the US and the European casualty markets, I think there's a huge focus on back-year development and, and are reserves adequate to take care of that.
0: Yes, uh, I, I don't think I would like to have been actuary in the last two or three years. So <laughs> the, uh, I'm not questioning their credibility because it, it's such an unknown and an exact science, but I suspect their reserving may be out of one or two a percent. Little
1: bit. A little Times bit. a factor. Unfortunately, the, the, uh, the developments never go they always go the wrong way, not the right way.
0: It's a sad reality of the industry at exactly. times, isn't it? So how do you find um, in the Asian region, which is so diverse uh, in, in many aspects, in terms of one of risk, two of regulatory environments, um, and three, some of them having a little bit of impact because of the you know, current geopolitical tensions there. Where do you see the main hurdles and the opportunities in this region?
1: So I think um, I think what we're experiencing, certainly, at Guy Carpenter, our anticipation is that it's going to be a much more orderly renewal season at one yes. one. Um, and I know that some of the other, you know, Asian territories have mid year mid year renewals, but we'd like to think it's a sort of much more steady than last year. Yes. Um, I think you know thirty percent of our clients saw you know increases in retention last year. Yep. Um, we'd like to think sort of the pricing is more stable. Um, there won't be the huge increases that have been seen you know previously. I think one of the things we're really focusing on is differentiation of clients, making sure that the clients have performed really well, get good terms yes. and you know there will be adjustments for those that you know have had claims and I think that's right, that's how it should be. So I think you know it'll depend and as I say, we want to spend more time differentiating our clients and making sure we deliver you know, the value that they bring into the equation. So that's a very very important piece for us.
0: Customize your data experience. BestLink now offers an interactive company dashboard that provides company-level intelligence in a fast, user-friendly interface featuring interactive tables, charts, and sparkline performance histories. Customize the dashboard tiles to prioritize the insurer ratings, data, and analytics that best support your workflow. Am Best. Our insight, your advantage. Is that also reflected then, if I could ask Victoria, um, with the increase in retentions that organisations are now looking more closely at their internal risk management processes? Totally. And if you like, the overlay of governance and the boards actually taking a more active role rather than just turning around and saying, oh, it's outside our influence or outside our control. Actually, we need to do something more. Yeah, I
1: I think if you look at the results coming through, you know, Underwriting company, a lot of them have had, you know, losses for a number of years. And, you know, how long can that be sustainable? How long will shareholders, you know, sustain that? So I think there has to be a real focus now on the C suite. You know, CEOs have got to start looking at the portfolio. They've got to start looking at what's driving the capital. And it's all around cost of capital. Yes. Um, capital management is gonna be a really important thing, and I think What we're starting to see is people looking to a risk management, bringing much, much stricter, much more stringent risk management to their portfolios. Mm. They need to optimize their portfolios, you know, what's driving the losses? How can we adjust those if we can't get price? Should we be writing that? Um, I think how they buy reinsurance is going to be a really important piece of that puzzle as well. Uh, I see that the use of structured or alternative reinsurance structures are going to be, you know, very much part of the future. Yes. I think people need to look at a lot of the losses that have, because retentions have been increased, a lot of the losses that have come in are now sitting in with the retentions. Yes. So yep. how do people manage that volatility? Um, do they buy spread loss covers? Do they place adverse development covers? Do they look at portfolios of business and take an LPT and say, let's... That's driving our capital requirements. Let's take it out of the balance sheet, and let's use those funds to grow in other areas. So I think there has to be a real re-evaluation of portfolios to ensure that companies are able to provide you know value and and profit to the shareholders.
0: Mm. It's probably been. Um and I can only talk about my own little local environment um, in Western Australia, and no Victoria, I'm not referring to the Margaret River region, <laughs> but, the, but the mining sector, it, there has been an increase in self-insurance because the retentions are gone up. They say, well actually, let's self-insure and make sure that we improve our processes. So by default, the insurance and reinsurance industry have, uh, if you like, assisted them grow and the management of their own uh, their business And I think there's also been a little bit, uh, dare I say it, captives. So have you any of you on captives? I was
1: going to mention, absolutely, when you talk about self-retention, so an area we see huge um, opportunities and development is around the captive scene. Yes. Um, Certainly, you know, we, well, Marsh have a huge captive management team. Um, We've seen a lot of activity around that. If I put my Lloyd's hat on, Lloyds are going to announce very shortly the first captive into the Lloyds market which will be a massive step forward.
0: That is a major strategic a change major for strategic Lloyds. strategic
1: Lloyds and it's an exciting development because I think you know people are starting to see Lloyds as a tremendous platform for captives to, to yeah. be on. Why? Because you remove the fronting costs, you've mm. got the oversight um, you take that out, you bring that in, it, it, it makes it very, very attractive. The licences, they've got the global licences, mm. um, you know, three unbelievably valuable things for any captive to look at. So I think this will change the game with captives and Lloyds. Um, it's a big name and I think it'll certainly wake the global market up when they see this.
0: This is first here on IAMS, <laughs> but now that's that's really an interesting concept. It's uh, as the way you shared that, it makes obvious sense and it's almost like, why hasn't this happened before?
1: Absolutely. I think, I think if you look at the, um, the executive team now at uh, Lloyds, it's as strong as certainly I've ever seen in my career. Right. I think they've got a great vision of where the market needs to be. You've got to remember, I mean, Lloyds is something like 370 years old. How many institutions have managed to survive that long? And they've done it through continually involving that platform. Now, you know, a lot of the syndicates of Lloyd's have alternative platforms, so Lloyd's have got to adapt to that. They've got to adapt to the market changes, and they've got to remain relevant and competitive. So I think if you look at Blueprint 2, which is all around digitalization of the market, mm-hmm. you look at the move towards captives, their mission to bring in the multinationals, the Lloyd's Lab. You know there's a lot of very very exciting opportunities developing and you know the other thing is the performance the the, the review group that have managed the performance of the market we've seen it in the um, in the numbers produced you know recently the best result lloyds has produced for years so it's on a great trajectory
0: which is uh, interesting in the current environment yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so where do you see guy carpenter with that one hat and lloyds with the other hat where do you see the industry being in, say, two to three years? So uh, you give them some really good insight and observations to where we've got to, where you think the capital markets <laughs> will be. Just thinking a little bit further outside the box, where do you think we'll be in two to three years' time?
1: Well, the fastest growing line in the industry is cyber. Yeah. And if you look at what's going on in the cyber, in, uh, cyber market, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I think there's, part of it's really exciting, part of it's probably really scary. Yes. Because it's a new emerging risk that people have got to understand. And I think people are still learning about it every single day. Yeah. But you've seen you know, some big companies out front taking some you know, big steps. You've got Coalition, you know, by far the biggest, and they're partnering up with companies like Allianz to, to provide their distribution network, which is yes. really interesting. I think the huge opportunities, you look at InsurTechs trying to get into the market, I think partnering again with insurance and reinsurance companies... Um, will be a major part. So I think cyber has to be an area of huge you know, change, transformation and continual growth over the next few years. You look at AI. And, and
0: education. I and think education. education with the cyber is... Absolutely.
1: A- uh, I think AI, I think you look at, you know, what else is going on in the world? I mean, everything that goes on in the world, our industry is at the heart of. I look yeah. at some of the really interesting new insurtechs coming through the Lloyds Lab. Yes. And Cohort 11, which is their last cohort, is all focused at Asia Pack and the opportunities for Intratech's, you know, to develop around specific issues and challenges at the Asian market, around ESG in particular, so sustainability, climate change, the use of parametrics. So there's just so much opportunity. It's... Yeah,
0: use of supercomputers, etc. I'd really be interested in your views of where AI is actually going to take the insurance industry and I don't want to put you outside your comfort zone, but AI in a general context, because I don't think people really have a good understanding. And as you said, insurance is across every asset class. It's across every part of our lives, whether it's life insurance, accident, health, etc. I'd be, uh, if you could provide, oh, and sure. I apologize for putting you on the spot no, no, that one. No, it's not, it's
1: an exciting area. I'm fascinated by it. But I think if you look at what the industry has got to be better at is a producing new products, because the world is changing. If you look at, you know, Generation Z, you know, they're very, very different mindset to my generation and how fast the world's moved. So I think the opportunities to AI, I mean, if you look at prevention, so companies are looking a lot more about how do we prevent catastrophic events from happening before they happen and then trying to adapt afterwards. And certainly look at cyber, cyber security, that's, that's an area. If you look at everything around sensors, Sensors are now going into everything, buildings to determine changes in, you know, humidity, temperature, mm. all those things. Usage, you know, people's usage of the building, and it can send messages back and feed that information back before you know a far starts. Sensors in transportation, um, chips that are going to go into people's bodies and tell them, you know, where challenges are or whether there's a whether there's a problem, and mm. you know, direct treatments directly. It, I mean, it's fascinating. I don't think any of us know really, how, where going it's going to, to be in a couple of years. I mean, if you look back, chat GDP. I mean, who knew about that two years ago? And you, you know, it's fascinating you look what the information that, you know, that can deliver to you on a handheld. And I think if you look around, what do customers really want? They want the ease of transacting, fast experience and fast payout of claims. And certainly the younger generation, that's what they're all about, everything to be done in a handheld. So I just see us moving so fast and the challenge is how do you keep pace with it and how do you Mm. develop products for the future? So AI has got to be a huge area of opportunity, but also a huge area of caution.
0: Yes, and I I think all of us appreciate those words at the end there, it's like, let's make sure we manage the unknown at this point. I've got to be honest with you, Victoria, I could talk for hours.
1: We can share a you, lot of stories. <laughs> a lot of stories,
0: which aren't for publication, but yeah. the, your knowledge on every subject that we've uh, uh, raised. Uh, one, thank you for sharing all that knowledge with us.
1: Absolutely pleasure. Two,
0: I'm learning rapidly lots of things <laughs> as you go through all this, and, and I think uh, having the opportunity to have a chat with you has been greatly appreciated. Um, is there any final words that you'd like to share as a part of what we're trying to do today where you where would you like to see yourself in two years when you're turning 45 or 46 where would you like if, to only, it? if
1: only um i i'd like to see i'd like to see the industry embrace a lot more diverse talent i think if you look at how fast the world's changing And the capabilities and the tools and the intellectual capital we'll need to make sure that we as an industry are able to keep pace with the changes in the world. We need to bring in super smart young people in so many diverse areas. And we're not good at that as an industry. We tend to fish in the same pool and get the same fish. So to me, I'd like to see the whole industry adapt all kinds of skill sets because the more diverse you are, and I'm not necessarily talking about you know, male and female, I'm talking about diversity of intellectual capability and capacity, Yes. the better we will be at delivering solutions, which will need to continue to evolve as time goes on. So yeah. that's my wish for this industry. It's a phenomenal industry. I've spent 43s in it. I've had the ride of my life. And if people have half as much fun as me, they can have a great ride.
0: Again, thank you very much. It's been most enjoyable, learning and challenging. Wish you good luck. I'm hoping I get to do an interview with you again in 12 months' time at Circ 24. Excellent. Thank, thank you, 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 you very you. much. Thank you so Victoria. much for having me. Real Cheers. pleasure. Thank you.